This podcast was produced by members of the Pinsker Centre Policy Fellowship. The Pinsker Centre is a think tank which focuses on global foreign policy whilst promoting freedom of speech and fighting intolerance. If you'd be interested in learning more about our work, follow the Pinsker Centre on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Applications for the Policy Fellowship Programme will open in the spring. Welcome to People Talk Politics, hosted by the Pinsker Centre. Today, I'm introducing, my name's Blurton, I'm a history student at Balliol College, Oxford, and I'm joined by my friends Jack and Alexander, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. I'm Jack, I'm a geography student at Oxford as well. Hi, I'm Alex, I do politics and international relations at Durham. Excellent. And today we'll be tackling the question of free speech on campus, what are the issues? This has been a contentious point in the last few years, especially recently with the salient developments in the Middle East. I think today we'll be starting with uh, issues on general anti-Semitism within university campuses and how recent events have caused people to be kind of teetering and veering on the edge of anti-Semitism as opposed to legitimate criticisms or dialogue. And from there, we will move into kind of more uh, general themes of recent years of work politics and how this has been tackled and what the issues are with it. And throughout that, I think we'll also be talking about intra-issues and any internal contradictions any specific groups might have when it comes to the free speech issue. I think beginning, uh, we'll start talking about the recent events. On October 7th, obviously, a harrowing attack happened from Hamas and to the innocent Israeli civilians. From there, a war has broken out. And it seems to have had a pervasive influence on the kind of UK campus dialogue among students more so than most events do on the global scale. I was wondering if you guys had any inputs as to why this kind of event specifically has more breadth within the UK campuses. Why is there more a relevance uh, in the UK campuses as opposed to other issues? I think why why has the Israel-Hamas conflict been so pushed forward into the limelight? There are a number of free speech issues which have existed on campuses for a long time around the Brexit debate, for example. Research by Policy Exchange in 2019 found that nearly 90% of Remain supporting students would be comfortable sharing that opinion in class, whereas only 40% of Leave students felt the Mm. same. So I think that the free speech issues become particularly relevant when there are such contentious issues happening in contemporary Mm. politics and, and international relations. So at that point, obviously, Brexit being particularly emotive was igniting discourse on campus with very diverse opinion. And I think that naturally, when you have an issue as pressing as as the developments in the Middle East currently, naturally very emotive, wherever opinion is divided, there will be calls for that open discourse, that free speech. So I think that free speech issues will arise from whatever are the most contemporary pressing issues of the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this obviously 
compared to Brexit, not only is it a political, it's a geopolitical, ethno-religious issue, um, with all demographics also being big groups within the UK and UK campuses. So, of course, there is a kind of more emotive attachment uh, to the issues, with people more inclined to speak, as it's obviously, you know, what they would call their home countries involved within the conflicts. I was going to introduce the point of the Oxford University and College Union discussing the Israel-Hamas war with calls for intifada until victory, this specific uh, phraseology being used by uh, actual staff at Oxford. And I was first going to kind of introduce the point of at what point is free speech uh, kind of stifled by the fact that it is hate speech or inciting violence? I think, first of all, the kind of main line here is that, you know, everyone regrets the loss of life on both sides and the loss of infrastructure. And they are very harrowing scenes and everyone kind of hopes for a better future. But when it comes to legitimate criticisms of both sides, there seems to have been a kind of uh, disproportionate zooming in on Israel and legitimate criticism has very much often, as we've seen, crossed the boundary into outright anti-Semitism. Calling for intifada has been often expressed through acts of uh, terrorism and it literally translates into kind of uprising. Through this, we can kind of begin to see, you know, has there been this kind of sensitivity shaken off uh, when it comes to speaking about Israel? Um, what, what do you guys think of that? Well, it's, it's a really interesting from a legal standpoint, because if you look to the Higher Education Act, which is kind of uh, this year in 2023, it basically adopts an approach to promote freedom of speech uh, and academic freedom uh, in academic campuses. Yeah. But it does so within the law. It promotes freedom of speech within the law. And what this means is some areas of, of criminal law restrict the ambit of, of protected free speech, which will include racially or religiously aggravated offences, threats mm. to kill, endeavours to break up public meeting. And you could argue, of course, that, that what you're looking at here with these chants, with these gatherings, mm. is sort of the, the boundary being broken between free speech and the law being infringed upon. So it's a really, really difficult situation. I mean, you, you don't have to look to the UK to this as well. In, in the US, we would have seen that Elizabeth McGill, who was president of the University of Pennsylvania, has just resigned. She said that the chance and whether calling for a genocide of the Jewish community, she said that whether that violated the university's code of conduct was context dependent. So she was unable to give a concrete answer on this. And, and when pressed, subsequently, she issued an apology which said that the university's long-standing policies aligned with the US Constitution say that speech alone is not punishable. So, of course, that is you know, an example uh, in the US. But yeah. I do agree with Blessing. It leaves us in a very difficult position where, in, in the US example, as long as that speech which you know you could very easily argue that that's hateful as long as that isn't backed up yeah. by actions it falls within the university's code of conduct and then would go unpunished so do we do we think that that is a 
completely indefensible position that speech alone shouldn't be punishable when there's chance of intifada happening? Or does she have a point there? What do you guys think? To kind of put a kind of bedrock out there when it comes to the dialogue, obviously defending and like praying for the safety of innocent Palestinian civilians and innocent Israeli civilians. Um, every reasonable person is doing that uh, for both sides. Everyone kind of hopes for things to be over soon with as minimal casualty as possible. But when we kind of, there are individuals like this who uh, potentially are glorifying Hamas, we do move into that legal framework that you've kind of introduced here, Alex, in terms of if Hamas is classed as a terrorist group and amongst protests and amongst uh, calls both in person and online for things to happen in the Middle East, if there is kind of a support or attempted martyrdom of fighters within Hamas, then we begin to kind of teeter on that legal edge. It's classed as a terrorist group. And from there, you, you begin to wonder, is this going now into inciting hatred towards uh, Jewish people and general Israeli citizens as well? It's very difficult, isn't it? It's it's a very sort of fine line. I was just wondering, do you think it is inciting hatred yourself or or jack you know does it does it cross into the sort of legal framework that that we've been talking about yeah i think specifically with oxford some of the chants that the protests have been calling sort of explicitly from oxford to gaza long live the intifada so i think that explicitly sort of relates it more to the uk and sort of to have that intifada happening here as well and obviously history has shown sort of what intifada mm-hmm. means I think the issue is, especially with all the legislation around sort of free speech and around sort of what's miscible and what's not, a lot of it is quite ambiguous and open to interpretation. It sort of describes harassment, or I think even the Equality Act sort of says it it causes harassment when it violates other person's dignity or creates like an intimidating, hostile environment for that person. A lot of those, I think, are quite subjective. And a lot of people would sort of, I think, are arguing differently sort of within the current context and comparing, I'd say comparing different suffering sort of from people saying, what about these people? Instead of sort of acknowledging the hurt sort of across the board and sort of the, the real hurt that's being and threats that UK people are experiencing as well. I think that's sort of something that's been overlooked. As Jack kind of says here, there, there is definitely of the linguistics of the law, but then also these kind of anecdotal internal experiences of people. And I think that leads me to kind of introduce these two motifs that I've been uh, thinking about as we've spoken, which is one, when we compare, for example, uh, this to debates on woke politics, are the people who would go far as into critique, for example, trans individuals. I kind of get the notion that, you know, obviously not everything is binary, but a lot of these individuals would defend anti-Semitism to the max, but also perhaps they would be less likely to kind of uh, critique Israel. And this kind of comes in the point of like leftist versus rightist politics. And so I feel like are those individuals who would say like defend individuals such as Kathleen Stock at the Union maybe either being 
as like inciting hatred against trans people and then you know also being protective against critiques of israel and so that's kind of um one group here of the kind of undertones of leftist versus rightist politics and people maybe having inconsistent stances when it comes to say a trans issue or an ethno-religious issue and the second one that comes with that would be the kind of general ignorance amongst students and because a lot of people haven't if you went to kind of a lot of these protests that Jack was talking about, a lot of the people, they haven't read the salient kind of eminent literature on Israel-Palestine conflict. And, you know, including authors such as kind of Benny Morris and um, Avi Schleim. And so you, you begin to wonder, do, do these people have any idea what they're actually talking about when they call for Intifada or when they call for chance of from the river to the sea? And do they know where that? originates and you know this absolutely in my opinion doesn't absolve people of kind of spreading hatred but i think there's something to be said of um do people know what they are actually talking about i was wondering both of your thoughts on that well i think you've touched on a really important point there i think especially sort of when discussing free speech as a whole because i think there is a lack of dialogue i think sort of there's i think especially in my experiences within university, there is one sort of accepted viewpoint on a number of issues. And I think anything sort of outside of that is sort of shut down very quickly. I saw a poll, I think, from King's College in London, and it basically said, like, there was 51% of students, like, agreed that they wouldn't, that they sort of self-censor themselves because of that. And I think that the lack of dialogue and understanding and learning and sort of sharing information with each other um, and thinking critically and debating. I think that's something that has left a lack of understanding or it has left a lot of these people, I think, sort of, instead of thinking critically for themselves, just sharing on sort of the the dominant sort of um, mm. homogenous sort of viewpoint on certain issues. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree, Jack. I think um, university is such a, a formative time in our development in terms of shaping how we view the world and our different perspectives and i think that therefore it's it's necessary that when we come onto campus we should welcome views that are different from our own the views that make us uncomfortable and debate those in established forums like the debating societies the union societies to have that constructive discourse and i think that whichever way you look at it, where you have people chanting in the streets, arguably calling for anti-Semitic actions, you can argue that 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 isn't constructive discourse by any means, and that there are far better forms available to sit down and debate these ideas. Yeah, I think, Jack, you're, you're completely right. And obviously this brings us to, to another point, which is you know, what can we do to promote that that discourse? How can we ignite that debate? And I think... The act that I mentioned earlier, the Higher Education Act, has taken legislative steps to promote that debate. And one of them, which I find quite interesting, is they've introduced a statutory tort, which is the opportunity for speakers who are barred from visiting societies. They can bring civil proceedings against a university or student union if they think that they've breached their duties to to freedom of speech and that's caused them to sustain a loss so they can get compensation if they're barred from, from visiting the university 
I'm just wondering, do people think that steps like that, do they go far enough? Does the government need to be doing more? You know, what, what would you want to see on your campuses, whether it's legislated by the government or by the student unions? You know, how can we improve this constructive dialogue? I think, as I was, I was reading about the higher education bill, and it, it was interesting. I think it was helpful, but it did give a lot of initiative or sort of uh, directive to the actual universities themselves. They're basically allowed to develop their own sort of interpretations on sort of the broad parameters set out by the government and like create their own sort of policies and guidelines. And reading about Oxford's one, it did seem like they've taken it further in some respects. And I do come back to the point, I do think the laws are quite vague. I don't know if you have any ideas about how to make them less vague, but it, some of the terminology it seems it, the way it's used, I, I think it could be sort of used to have detrimental effects different from what they're trying to achieve sort of a more constructive or open dialogue. It seems like it might add further limitations, but I'm not I'm not an expert. <laughs> it is interesting to kind of hear from both of you this kind of ideas of protective rights and I was going to say probably what you're going to follow up with, Alex. Do do we think that issues like this, like something so complex and deep as the Israel-Palestine conflict, do issues like this kind of almost guarantee that these types of issues that we're talking about and the legality of things will remain quite cyclical f- for the future coming and will kind of both teeth are on the edge of, you know, is this free speech? Is this hate speech? Is this uh, absolute censorship? Alex, I, I assume you were going to kind of follow up with something like that? Yeah, definitely. I think the ambiguities will, will always exist over issues as contentious as this and as emotive as this. But I think, as I mentioned before, in all scenarios, the promotion of that constructive debate, debating societies, union societies, is always helpful. And I think we should do everything that we can to protect that. Just going back to the steps imposed by the by the government, they've appointed a, a director of freedom of speech and academic freedom. Professor Ari Farmed has been appointed, as the BBC says, to defend all views. And so I think steps like this, where there is that ambiguity in the, in the legal framework, when you have somebody based at the office of students, the overseeing body, for higher education provision, when you have somebody in place as a, as a champion of free speech, I think that that is so important as a protector of our, of our liberal values almost. So, I mean, where there are these different interpretations of, of the law to be had, whether that's disseminated to the student unions, whether they take that upon themselves to establish their own set of values yeah. and what freedom of speech means, as has also been mandated in the Higher Education Act. I think that Steps like this, steps like a designated freedom of speech champion to oversee this is really, really important. I don't know if I can posit another point. I'm not sure with sort of um, the free speech dialogue at the moment. It seems, I don't know about elsewhere, but in Oxford, it seems like especially at the union has platformed speakers that other societies, I think, and even the student union have sort of condemned. So I think they are going against the grain in some respects and they are ensuring that there is like a diverse range of opinions that are hosted by sort of the university environment. But I'm not sure when we think about having sort of dialogue and understanding between people, I'm not sure whether that 
is a more local level issue or sort of people speaking amongst their peers and sort of I think that's a very formative part of the university experience as well mm-hmm. and I'm not yeah. sure I think that might be sort of an area where there is almost a bigger sort of concern I mean reading about it it seemed I don't think that in 2020 at least albeit it was COVID I don't think there were any instances sort of of an event being cancelled between 2019 and 2020 I think there was like six events out of 10,000 were cancelled and that was for various issues so I, yeah. I don't know I'd be interested to get, gather your thoughts sort of on people speaking amongst their peers because I found figures that said since 2019 to last year it, the amount of people sort of saying that they had heard of like free speech being inhibited or sort of prevented from self-preventing from saying things doubled to to a quarter which although mm-hmm. is still a minority like it, it was quite a big increase it's quite interesting i think we have definitely seen some kind of rise in, in mob mentality when it comes to this and don't get me wrong obviously in the last um i'd say maybe since 2016 onwards we have seen a great rise in in social justice and i think there has definitely been a great good that has come from that but mm-hmm some individuals have definitely kind of taken it too far and into the form of censorship and and interesting we talk about the union you know we definitely do platform uh, people you know such as Kathleen Stock, Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson for example all all in very recent memory and these are individuals that would kind of bring a lot of hassle into in terms of getting them to speak because of the, the protest by students and obviously as you say jack word does get around and people kind of share the same views and a majority of you then kind of manifests itself into kind of hoping to deplatform these speakers and it, it is very interesting and i think we can we can almost bring in the former points that i was speaking about in terms of intra issues and, and contradictions and ignorance in terms of Speakers, you know, from word of mouth, I've heard that speakers such as perhaps Tony Blair, you know, he did law at St. John's in Oxford, um, someone like him to return to the union, people anticipate that there would be too much kind of uproar in terms of bringing it back due to his involvement in the Iraq war. But then we've had kind of other individuals from various kind of places who I think absolutely uh, platform them, have a chat with them, but they have arguably done worse. But because they're lower profile names, they've kind of not caused any uproar, if any attendance, to, to say the least. And I, I think I think that's also an interesting point, this kind of uh, picking and choosing. And um, I'd also like to bring back to light that kind of Venn diagram type of stuff I was speaking about when it comes to, you know, maybe conservatives, with such woke issues such as the trans but then also unequivocally defending for example like uh, any and all of israel's actions and then leftists also kind of you know showing not all of them of course but a kind of weird indirect sympathy with hamas and then also being quite diehard pro-trans and so with these kind of themes of ignorance or like this Venn diagram of beliefs and kind of picking and choosing, you know, just to finish off here with the podcast, how these um, these themes amalgamate uh, into the student campus and what you think it looks like for the future. Yeah, I think it's a interesting point. I do think that 
I think it goes back to what we said earlier, sort of about dominant viewpoints or sort of and the difficulties diverging from them, perhaps, or sort of having a debate about them. I think that there is definitely people sort of bunching up into different sides with various different viewpoints and actually not much sort of interaction between them or discussion sort of to mediate and sort of perhaps to come to a consensus or and not be so divided. It is difficult. I think it does dictate perhaps people, even their social circles, who they interact with. Um, and I think overcoming that presents quite a challenge. But I do think that there there is room for dialogue. And I think more people, they are seeking sort of to have conversations, especially to to learn off each other. I think Oxford, I've seen that happen um, on quite a few occasions. I think it does bring people together to talk. I'm just wondering if you could elaborate more Blurton, on, on what you mean by the, the contradictions, that, that, that element of, of what you were talking about. So, well, in terms of some, you know, people holding a view and then maybe only applying how strongly they feel to one element of it. So, you know, just because, for example, Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro have a large following and are relevant on social media, you know, you'll go all out attack on individuals such as them but then maybe when a politician from a different country who one may say has done far worse in the eyes of um, said individual who was causing uproar over Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson because they haven't been so relevant on social media and this other politician comes and speaks they kind of don't bat an eye and so I'm, I'm kind of speaking about this like mix mm -hmm. of contradictions and picking and choosing kind of type of thing we see and obviously it's within human nature to kind of you know people pick and choose but I was just wondering maybe Alex if you had any final thoughts on that oh I mean only speaking anecdotally I don't know if I've seen many incidents of that myself but I think perhaps what you're saying will feed into the the broader discussion and it fleshes out ultimately the point I think just to wrap up that Free speech is a cornerstone of our liberal democracy. And I think that having discussions like this, investigating and interrogating the, the measures introduced by the government or student unions to protect it is really important. The measures put in place by, by the government and the student unions to create that open discourse on university campuses, because you know it's only, it's only happened that with the most recent legislation in 2023, I think we will have to to wait a while to see the true effects of it. Um, you talk about how you think that those those notions you're talking about will, will amalgamate and, and play out in the future. I think we have to wait and see for now. I, I do think the direction that we're heading in, uh, in terms of uh, that government legislation, is promising, but there is there is a lot more a lot more work to be done. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Just before Alex, you kind of give an outro. I'd, I'd like to say it's, we all hope for for better and we will sympathize with those who have had violence incited against them and obviously wish for them to be protected i'd also say you know when it comes to issues especially ethno-religious geopolitical issues people naturally feel strongly inclined to speak up for those you know who they may consider their own people and you know as a kind of diverse demography that we have in the uk um this is naturally going to happen. It's only human nature. So as you say, Alex, um, I think we're heading in a positive direction, hopefully, of all understanding each other and hearing viewpoints and pointing towards a more 
objective and kind of academically fact-driven uh, discourse. Okay, so I'll just wrap up there. Thank you for listening to the People Talk Politics podcast hosted by the Clinical Centre. Uh, in this podcast, we've touched on a whole array of issues related to freedom of speech on campus. We talked about no platforming. We've talked about uh, the need for open dialogue. We've talked about the massively contentious issues surrounding the Israel-Hamas conflict. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you can join us for our next People Talk Politics podcast coming very soon.